2: $25 each.
0: Visit LiveNation.com slash to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash to buy now. Dealing with pests
2: can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix.
3: With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any
0: pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online
2: today. That's T E R M I N I X.com.
3: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt.
1: My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul. Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. It is the second episode in our two-part series on the secrets of the Founding Fathers, a subject uh, that's been on the minds of many people for a number of centuries now. Uh in our previous episode, we talked a lot about dead presidents, not the not the hip hop group that we're all big fans of, but the uh the the actual presidents of the US and the founding fathers, some of whom were never president, such as, you know, Matt um Alexander Hamilton, right? Never president, Ben Franklin, never president, George Mason, but they did they did a lot of uh tremendous Tremendous work uh, creating the United States. And for a long time, they were deified, perhaps to an extreme degree. Uh, and people didn't talk about, you know, the hypocrisy of slavery or the, uh, you know, the nature of their membership in Masonic lodges. Uh, there's still a lot of little known myths, facts or factoids about the presidents. Um, so maybe we start there. Here are the facts. Matt, if if someone hasn't listened to episode one, what's, what's some of the crazy stuff they'll learn?
3: Uh, well, uh, a lot of the founding fathers uh, were white men. No, wait, yeah, they all were. Um, they, <laughs> uh, many of them owned slaves or had an, uh, a close relationship with the practice of chattel slavery. Uh, that was a big deal. Uh, we definitely talked about Freemasonry, about how the values that, that Freemasonry puts forth have a, a lot of similarity with what ended up in the Declaration of Independence and a lot of the other major documents that went into creating the thing called the United States. And a lot of them were members.
1: Yeah, and the French Revolution, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of commonality there. Uh, the, there's There are a couple other just fun things before we get to the really weird stuff today. The founding fathers themselves probably never heard the phrase "The founding fathers," which makes sense,
3: but Founders was probably in there somewhere we're the we're the founders
1: yeah, yeah, but it's like that's the kind of title you probably shouldn't give yourself. you know what I mean, uh but yeah, they probably they probably did say that a couple ales in at the public house
2: uh, Sam Adams, did they drink Sam Adams? There is actually a really great uh, brand of ale, I think out of Michigan, called Founders. It's one of my favorites. That's very true. I had one the other day.
3: Hey, look, hey, sponsorship Founders, we're here. Wouldn't that be nice?
2: (laughs) No, it's a really good question. Do you really think they like coined themselves the founders? Or that seems like the kind of thing that the press would have to dub you. Like that's a that's a pretty serious uh, self-aggrandizing statement.
3: Well, if you're if you're hanging out at the Masonic Lodge in secret, or the thing that would become the Masonic Lodge years down the road, uh,
0: you know, I can imagine. Gentlemen, we here are the founders of this great nation. Oh, not, not just the founders, Matt, the founding fathers.
2: They sired this country from their very loins. Well, the earliest record we
1: have of that phrase being used is actually it doesn't occur until 1916, at least in, in documents. Uh, Warren G. Harding, who is a senator at the time and you know later goes on to be president himself. Talks to the Republican National Convention and he's like, you know, yada, 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 the Founding Fathers. And Big this fan was a, of
2: his work with Nate Dog. This by was way.
1: also the first time he had ever said yada, 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 you know, which <laughs> later is referenced in Seinfeld. That's just, these are just historical facts. Oh, yeah. So his, when he said Founding Fathers in 1916, he's talking about like the earlier point you had made on the previous episode, Matt, he's talking about everybody who ever fought in the American revolution and participated in any way in the constitution, as well as the declaration of independence. So he wasn't talking about the seven or eight people that often get honed in on as founding fathers. Uh, He doesn't, he's not really even talking about John Hancock and John Hancock, by the way, I, I don't know why more people don't talk about this. Uh, he's famous for his autograph, right? It's very large, showy. It's like six inches. He was a smuggler. That mm. was his job. That's like if if we were starting a nation and we were like, hey, let's get that. You know that guy who sells drugs? Like down down by the Kroger?
2: We should get him in on this. Well, but that was a bankable skill at the time. I Hamilton, know. the musical, uh, has anything to say about it, right? Mm-hmm. You're right, you're right, I'm being
1: unfair cuz it's a way to get around uh the British uh tax system. Right. Really. So He's
3: he's more like the the trafficker, right? He's the supplier of the drugs in a way or the guy who's getting them across the yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah, he's the plug. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh he's not the he's not the corner guy. But there are a ton of misconceptions and I l- one thing I like is that a lot of them are pretty have been busted uh, such that they're common knowledge. Now, George Washington may have cut down trees in his life, but he certainly did not cut down a cherry tree as a child and then say, I cannot tell a lie. Uh, (laughs) It's such a weird story. Uh, He also didn't have wooden teeth. He had fake teeth, but they were not wooden. They were hippopotamus teeth. Is that correct? Not wooden? Yeah, a.k.a. seahorse teeth. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... Let's see, what 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 else do we know? Oh, the signatures on the Declaration of Independence were kept secret. That is true initially, not because there was some conspiracy. Although I guess from the British perspective, it very much is a conspiracy.
3: It's uh, for their own protection, right?
1: Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If the uh if this document had been found and if they had not won the war, then their lives would be at risk, absolutely. So those are Those are just some of the facts, and there are some fantastic, innumerable, actually, books and podcasts and documentaries, musicals, and so on about these things. But what we wanted to do today is explore the crazy, unproven stuff, some of the weirdest allegations you will hear about these founding fathers of this country. Here's where it gets crazy.
3: It's the Ten Dual Commandments. Uh, wait, nope, that's not what we're doing here. Um, <laughs> that was great. That was great. Let's uh, let's jump in and, and yeah, talk about the the crazy stuff, the unproven stuff, the stuff that's fun to think about but may not have much sand to it, but maybe a couple of greens, as we discussed that mm-hmm. pearl last episode. <laughs> this is something. It reminds me a lot of the Paul is dead theory. Uh, that we've discussed before with, with Paul McCartney and the Beatles, uh, there is there's a theory roaming around out there that George Washington, the founding father, I mean, the one, uh, that he was assassinated at some point and replaced with someone else. Happens all the time. Happens all the time,
1: yeah. It's, it's tough. It happened at our job earlier, just, just a few weeks ago. But... Let's not get into that Easter egg. So body (laughs) doubles, we know that happens, right? That's Mm -hmm. happened and is possibly happening now. Uh, What's interesting about this theory is not just the idea that Washington was assassinated and replaced, but who replaced him. That's that's the weirdest
2: part. All right. Yeah. Shall we get into some Illuminati uh, discussions here?
3: That's what this whole thing's about, baby. I think
2: so. Yeah. uh, Johan, actually, Adam Weishaupt, uh, founded the Order of the Illuminati. It is a thing. uh, On May 1st, 1776. And he was big into the rising trend of secret societies. Um, But they were often used as a way to kind of break away from the status quo a little bit and promote free thinking uh, and freedom and uh, equality, actually. Um, And as we've seen with, for example, the the Vatican did not care for Freemasons um, in in Europe and actually outlawed uh, members of the Catholic Church from becoming members of the Freemasons. Similarly, monarchies did not care for these either, specifically the Order of the Illuminati.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we had discussed the reasons why uh, both monarchies and uh, and the Vatican disliked the Order of the Illuminati. And, of course, Weishaupt's argument here for the Order of the Illuminati is, uh, let's see, the best way to say it is he announced it as though it were uh, a resurrection of an older thing, right? So his argument was always, this dates back into antiquity uh but you're right may 1st, 1776 that's when he that's when he founds the order of the illuminati
3: but he founds it in
2: bavaria in, he Germany. It in
1: bavaria yes because he is german which yeah. will come
2: into play later he is german yeah, if the name didn't give it away he was yeah. definitely very very german
3: first of all just before we keep going isn't that interesting that As a nation was being birthed, this guy, Weisept, decides to found the stinking Illuminati. Like, the same, in 1776.
1: What? A version of the Illuminati, I would say. But you're right. You're right. It's weird. It's a busy year for history. And he's in Bavaria, as you said, but eventually he's exiled because the power structure rejects things like freedom and equality order uh, things that are espoused by the order of Illuminati and the gist of our conspiracy theory here is that instead of living in exile as all historians agreed this guy did he traveled to the United States to spread the secret doctrine of illumination across the land and In 1785, the story goes, Weishaupt assassinated George Washington and replaced him. Just to point this out, okay, Washington's official death occurs on December 14th, 1799, and it's still kind of mysterious. He was 67 years old. He had a brief illness. He lost 40% of his blood. Oh, And then he died. Sorry, in a, in a twenty-one uh, hour
2: period. How have I never heard of this before? Forty percent of his blood. Was he being like bloodlet, like as like a remedy to cure what ailed him? It's what happens when you get assassinated, dude. You lose at least forty percent of your blood. At least,
1: I thought he was. He might have been in on the blood trade. You know what I mean? And somebody no, came to collect.
2: Ben, I, I don't want to, want to mistake you. You're saying these are the circumstances of his actual death or these are the purported circumstances of his supposed death. Actual death. Actual death.
1: Yeah. So he was – he fell ill and died over a 21-hour period in 1799 uh, because he was being bled. It was a common medical practice. Okay, Not super successful medical practice, but super common. Uh, They bled him like I think a total – his personal doctor – bled him once, and then more doctors arrived and bled him four more times over the next eight hours. And that's how he lost all the blood. He also, by the way, uh, gargled a mixture of molasses, vinegar, and butter. Uh, He did several other things, but he didn't. By late afternoon, he knew that he was on the way out. And his last words are, I am just going. Have me decently buried. Do not let my body be put into the vault less than three days after I am dead. Do you understand me? Tis well. And then – And I died. die. And he died. <laughs> but was it him or was it Adam Weishaupt? Had, had this guy come from Bavaria and sort of done a um, – what's that show? The Americans? Done uh-huh. kind of a sleeper agent thing? Yeah, yeah. And replaced the president of the United States? Well, that's – Okay. We do know the founding fathers were aware of Johann Adam Weishaupt. They even wrote about him.
2: Yeah, it's true. Uh, Jefferson um, speaks of him in a letter uh, to uh, Madison, where he says that Weishaupt was an enthusiastic philanthropist um, of outstanding moral character, and they seem to, to to dig this guy. Uh, he he was he was popular amongst the the fathers.
3: Yeah, we we talked about how important Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were as founding fathers and it's interesting to note that they were definitely on board uh with this guy or at least uh found took an interest with him and found him to be an upstanding fellow. But yeah, I I don't I don't know, man. Go let's keep going. It just feels it feels let's keep going.
1: All right. Well, I do want to point out that while I think we were much more than fair with Thomas Jefferson in the previous episode. Uh he did originally, I just reminded of this. He did originally have a uh, a ban on slavery in the uh in the initial documents of the US, but he removed those bans because he thought they wouldn't be able to get support from delegates in slave owning areas. And also he owned slaves. It was a huge hypocrite. But, but he liked Adam Weishaupt. Uh, Weishaupt. And there, there's some other things here. This is something we had talked about earlier. Even if this guy, the founder of the Order of the Illuminati, did s- seek to spread these New World Order views, he wouldn't have been pushing for anything that was super wild to the founders of the United States. They were on board with the kind of stuff that the uh, at least the Illuminati on paper supported. Like the values have a lot in common with masonry, self-determination, freedom from religious dogma, etc. If anything, the Illuminati is just a little more extreme on the religion stance. I think the, the Masonic thing is something like they acknowledge a higher power or something yeah, like that's, that. Yeah, that's
3: all you must do. It, it matters not what you... What dogma you place on it is just that you, uh, uh, you yeah, acknowledge that something greater than you exists, and you are essentially a part of that plan or a part of that thing.
2: What separated it from the uh, the Freemasons, like why bother starting a whole brand new secret society? Was there something about Freemasonry that Vice didn't like? That's a good question.
1: I uh, one one of my initial cynical answers would be that people for some reason, love to start their own thing instead of helping existing things. Like you see it in the world of charity all the time. Someone tries to start a charity when there are already, you know, eight other things who have been doing it for a long time and could use the help. But, of course, these things don't occur in a vacuum, so it is, it is likely that he knew about it, but it's also possible, and I haven't dug into this, this is just my speculation, it is also possible that he was uh, trying to circumvent perhaps a ban on Freemasonry. That's happened in the past. Uh, But that that may be something we dive into in another episode.
3: Yeah, we'll definitely dive into it in another episode. I just want to point to one thing written by the— Bavarian Illuminati of kind of what they stood for, and this is something they wrote in their general statutes: uh the order of the day is to put an end to the machinations of the purveyors of injustice to control them without dominating them.
0: Interesting, okay. right? Uh-huh. So
3: use use your tendrils to control things, but don't let anyone know that that tendril is there. Influence, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So a
1: hidden hand that makes sense. But there's there's one big thing people are forgetting when they talk about this assassination theory. Yeah, it's it's a cool, crazy story. I would watch the feature film with Nicolas Cage about this. He would play both Weishaupt and George Washington, obviously. Uh, but the problem is Weishaupt is from Germany. He has a very thick, noticeable German accent. This is attested in other contemporary writings. It's like thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. Shout out to anyone who gets the reference. If we are being charitable, it is highly unlikely that this guy would have been able to kill George Washington, you know, put on the wig or whatever, and seamlessly slip into that character. People would have noticed because he talked to people. You know what I mean? He wasn't emailing folks. So I, I, I would say this is not true. But there's a crazy thing we're going to explore, even crazier than this, that is absolutely true and should terrify you. We'll get to it
2: after a word from our sponsor.
1: Imagine there's no heaven.
0: No
2: heaven. I don't have to imagine that. I know it to be true. Whoa. Just kidding. Well that's I I mean that that's where
1: Thomas Jefferson was accused of of being philosophically during the eighteen hundred election. There were these crazy rumors. You think elections are weird and propagandistic now? Ew, th- these were nuts. Uh, these rumors spread that Thomas Jefferson was secretly an atheist, which <gasps> used to be a very Gasp. bad thing. Yeah, 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 very, very bad. Uh, he, and they, and people were saying, his opponents were saying, you know, Thomas Jefferson wants to be president uh, not because he cares about this country. He only wants to be president to ban religion. He is an enemy of God. He is infiltrating this, uh, this holy office and this holy place. Most people would say, I mean, that's the thing though. Jefferson wasn't a um, Jefferson hated churches. Maybe not religion, but he was super not down with churches. Most people today would describe him as a non denominational theist. So kind of
2: Masonic. Interesting. Is that sort of like being um, not agnostic? Yeah, isn't agnostic where you rec- recognize that there is some sort of higher thing, but you don't know what to call it?
3: You mean like the like the basic beliefs of Freemasonry and the Illuminati?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that one. Agnosticism <laughs> is more saying that you can. It's like pleading no contest to the question of God, right? So you're mm. you're not you're you're saying that you cannot you do you're essentially saying you do not have the information necessary to make an informed uh conclusion so but talk, you're not
2: you're, yeah. not you're not you're not you're not discounting it entirely though right no I mean, you're like just like saying you, i don't yeah. know you're leaving the door open for for like you know if you are one day blessed with that wisdom then okay cool i i hedged my bets <laughs> i think that yeah what do you think do you think agnostics if at the when they meet saint peter at the gates you think they get a pass you think they get in you didn't deny him, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Capital H,
3: him. Yeah, it's a proof that he's even there. St. Peter's chilling somewhere by some gates, maybe.
1: I always wonder why they were pearly. I think they, it just felt like a fancy material. If that's
2: maybe I mean. they're just pearl-like encrusted, you know, because this pearl wouldn't be a particularly good gate material, if you ask I me. Know. I don't know what their budget is, you know. Um, w- what if
3: they really are ivory and heaven's got this thing with rhinos?
2: and they have counterfeit gates heaven is canceled you guys oh man
3: wow we we got it okay
1: <laughs> well well other people thought about this no no I can break us back other people thought about this thomas jefferson the weird thing about calling him an atheist is that he thought often about matters of faith and religion he wrote what's called the Jefferson's Bible in a stunning display of humility. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, the Jefferson Bible is, well, it's called, I think the official title is the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And there are no copies around today, but essentially what he did is a cut and paste process of, of uh, a new Testament Uh, And he took out all the stuff that he thought was like supernatural or miraculous. So it's just Jesus Christ as a good and normal dude doing good and normal things. So that's the kind. He also was like a, um, what is it? He believed in a watchmaker God. The idea that there is some divine force that sets reality or realities in motion and sort of, you know, called it a day. And the rest is up to us. These are radical and highly offensive ideas to a lot of people, but they're still not as bad as being an atheist and becoming the president. I mean, you would be hard pressed to be an atheist and win the election now in 2020. So how did he respond to this, these accusations?
3: He did what every politician does uh, since him (laughs) because it worked out for him. Uh, You play along. You kind of cave a little bit. You go to church, even if you don't have those personal beliefs and you espouse that maybe you do or you, you you know, you stand in front of a church that's shuttered and hold a Bible up to take some pictures. I mean, that's it's literally a really great photo. Well, what, what, what I'm saying is you you play the game and that's what politicians do in all things and especially when it comes to religion. And that's exactly what thomas jefferson did
2: it's a little harder to stomach though when the person playing the game is so clearly (laughs) not that thing at all well jefferson wasn't either i know know? but he was smart enough to like put on a good front put on a good show at least he probably like memorized a few passages out of the bible and could quote them properly and you know didn't mispronounce the names anyway i'm sorry moving on well he did win the election Mm mm-hmm yeah it works. Do you think this was the first example, like, in American, like, politics of this type of uh, pageantry? I mean, obviously, it's probably a tale as old as time, right? You know, we can extrapolate and
3: go back to, you know, the times of monarchies uh, mm-hmm. that, that the United States was fighting against in establishing itself. We've been and I talked about it a little bit last episode, just about the, the control structures of that, how control is maintained, and the way you control people is by like the Illuminati wanted to, the Bavarian Illuminati and and Weishaupt, you control through influence, through structures and institutions like churches. That's a tough thing to square, especially if you're a believer or like a true believer, um, that, that we can be influenced and controlled through things that are largely positive in our lives, like churches.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also to be absolutely clear here, we're not dinging on religion. We're saying that uh, we're saying that Thomas Jefferson, whatever his personal beliefs are, was he was at the very least against the dogma of organized religion. But he uh, sucked it up and he played the game to become the president. And when he became the president, he did not ban religion. He he just wanted to maintain. A separation of church and state, which seems normal now, but was very controversial at the time. And uh, the question about performative acts, performative religious acts, is interesting because we don't know folks' inner motivations or their inner beliefs. At this point, they would have to write it down, right, in an explicit way. That's why we know some stuff about Thomas Jefferson. So, uh, do you know, I, I just think it's, it's unfair to ascribe personal beliefs to people if we don't know what they are. Uh, but we do know that we do know that he didn't ban religion. So this conspiracy theory is debunked, we can say. But there's another one that I think is interesting. Mm, I'm going to say it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, the title of this is uh, the Boston Tea Party was an opium heist.
2: You guys ever heard of that one? Nope. <laughs> I saw it on the sheet and I was like, that is not something that I was taught in history class. What's the deal?
3: It involves another secret society, this time the Sons of Liberty, mm-hmm. the precursor of the Sons of Anarchy. And the Boston Tea Party really set off on December 16th, 1773, three years there before the official founding of the U.S. And this was a, um, it was a protest. Right, It was, I guess you could say, an attack. In a way, it was. Yeah, it was an attack. Uh, And it's known as the Boston Tea Party. This was a response, as we've talked about on this show before, I think. Maybe we haven't gone into full detail, but there's this thing called the Tea Act, which had to do with imports of tea from China. And it was this thing that we have for sure talked about on this show, the British East India Company. Oh, um, yeah. And again, there are a couple of slightly complicated things having to do with taxes and how essentially tariffs, like how how taxes were levied on some of these goods for the colonists. And it's a thing we could get into if we really, really want to. <laughs> but ultimately, it's, it's, you know, we're having to pay a lot of taxes that the citizens didn't feel they should be paying. And it empowered
1: uh, it empowered this corporation. Yes, like the Dutch East India Company, British East India Company. These are sort of a uh, a harbinger of corporations to come, and they are immensely powerful. Uh, they're also they're also not restrained by laws in the way that many other corporations are, at least in paper today. So one huge effect this will have on the American colonies is that it threatens the smuggling trade.
3: (gasps) John Hancock's stuff?
1: I know. They're messing with with John. Don't Uh, mess with Hancock. Nobody messes with John. (laughs) And, And so this makes people furious. The Sons of Liberty, also, by the way, founded by Sam Adams, if they're if they're gonna sponsor us, we'll just keep doing Sam Adams
2: fact uh, facts. <laughs> it's a beer not quite good enough to drink with your mouth. What in my, in my you it's like a, Sam Adams? It's a beer for yeah. Booths. What really? are you talking about? Are Samuel Adams is wonderful. Oh, you're just saying that.
3: There's like seventeen. Varieties that I've tried.
2: I do think that's cool. I think the seasonal stuff is cool. I'll admit it. They, do, they They do the pumpkin ones, right? Isn't that a thing that Sam Adams does? They do a seasonal, like a pumpkin yeah, spice. Yeah, they do. Old Fezzi,
3: Old Fezziwig is one of the best beers. <laughs> is Fezziwig. that really the name? Old <laughs> yeah. Fezziwig. Yes.
2: Well, who
0: is? What was? He? Is he in the uh, Christmas Carol?
3: <laughs> I think so. Hold on. Now I need to make sure that I'm saying that right. Uh, I hope. I
0: hope that he's a lesser known uh,
1: Sons of Liberty member. There's Hold old on. Fezziwig who was instrumental in this.
3: It is. It's called Old Fezziwig.
1: So there you have it, folks. Old Fezziwig, uh, recommended by none other than Matt Frederick, uh, wholeheartedly, right, Matt, without reservation.
3: I think so. I
1: don't know. <laughs> so, so you're right though. That smuggling is a big thing. It's a big industry. And it it thrives, the smuggling industry thrives because of the taxation system imposed by the British. So a threat to that is a threat to people's livelihoods. And so a group of people, some disguised as Native Americans, boarded three ships in Boston Harbor. As we said, on uh, December 16th, 1773, they dumped officially 342 chests of tea into the ocean, This cost the British East India Company the equivalent of about a a little more than $2 million in today's terms. But the conspiracy is that they dumped the tea and they took something else because, again, the Sons of Liberty are in the – like they move in circles with smugglers and their smuggling associates knew there was more precious cargo aboard, opium which should be familiar to anybody who's heard our previous episodes, British, East India, and opium uh, in in the opium trade in China. Mm.
3: Wow. I mean, it would make complete sense if the tea is coming directly from China via the East India Company of Britain, um, that there could be other cargo aboard that ship that was not on any manifest, that wasn't recorded, and, you know, left to history. Like you said, if it wasn't written down, we don't know. And if it's, if it's secretly on that ship and then was taken, it just would happen and we'd have no record. Huh. Well, that would be a smart move. Dump the tea, take the opium. Because you could sell that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. It's immensely profitable. Uh, it's actually, it's, it's immensely profitable. It's immensely dangerous. But it's a, it's a way to move a lot of money quickly uh because people might not donate to your revolution but they'll buy opium so so the pieces are there we don't have proof we just have a series of like circumstantial interesting things you know what i mean and together they 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 make uh for a, a tantalizing possibility but we don't know matt we don't know whether they Threw the tea and took any opium. We don't know if any opium was aboard. But then again, that's the thing. If it's a smuggling situation, then you can't trust the manifest, right? Mm, Interesting, curiouser and curiouser. But we don't know for sure. Perhaps one day in the future, newly uncovered documents will spill the tea on this case.
3: Mm. Man, yeah, for sure. You know, it is fascinating. I've never thought about opium in colonial America. I know that the United States after it was founded, I mean, I want to, I want to probably, I think it's about a hundred years after America was founded. There was quite a bit of an opium crisis uh, in the United States because it was, you know, it was a medicinal thing at the time that doctors would carry with them and would give you a tincture of it essentially if you required it. But the abuse of it as a narcotic, as a drug, I know nothing about in that time, you know, like pre 1800s fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah. And you know, I I think we're not taught uh, a lot about the U S relationship with opium. It's, it's an old one. The first millionaire officially in the U S is a guy named John Jacob Astor. Oh,
3: I I know that name. Yeah. He died in
1: 1848, but, The way he became so wealthy is entirely due to the opium trade. We also know that uh, going back to the Mayflower in the 1600s, some pilgrims were probably carrying opium, especially there's a physician named Samuel Fuller, and he probably had laudanum with him as a doctor. And during the American Revolution, opium was a common medical tool. Thomas Jefferson even used it later uh, to treat his uh, his his chronic diarrhea, but it would not be unusual to see
2: opium in the in colonial America. Would this be opium that you would smoke, or was it essentially just like I know, laudanum was like a tincture, right? Or like you could even put it on a rag, right? Or yeah, you know i
1: i can I can only really speak to the medicinal stuff. Um, we know that people were gro- – like Thomas Jefferson even ended up growing poppies in Monticello. Eventually, opium or opiates became a common ingredient in multiple products uh, in, in like I, I would say more of the 1800s or so. But, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know about recreational use in particular. So we would have to have more proof of something for the opium heist to work. So instead of saying this is debunked, although it kind of is, instead of saying this is true, which you don't have proof for, I want to pitch it to you guys as a film. The, the Boston Opium Heist.
3: This is good. This is a good idea. You shouldn't pitch this on the podcast. <laughs> this is a really good idea.
1: <laughs> well, we get like a Ocean's Eleven kind of vibe, an ensemble heist film. Uh, yeah.
3: And then you, in order to get France's support, it's something that greases the wheels, like a shipment of opium.
1: There we go. Conspiracy. I love it. I love it. But it is not true. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. And when we return, we will tell you a conspiracy theory that is
2: very true and very disturbing and should kind of scare you.
1: All right, we're back. So imagine, fellow conspiracy realists, you are with us. And as Matt said, the room where it happens, we're making a new nation. Uh, we're building a new really weird system of government. We're working live. No one's tried this before. Uh so we want to learn from the mistakes of the past, but we also want to pay attention to the stuff that worked. This leads us to the situation the Continental Congress found itself in. Massively dysfunctional group. Lots of competing interests, they're not on the same page about stuff, and they're also not uh, efficient. They they have an issue like they one of their big issues is paying people. There are a ton of veterans who have fought in the war and survived, some with, you know, lifelong injuries. And they're not getting paid because the government doesn't have the money to give them. Who knows? Maybe they spent it all on opium. I'm kidding. Uh, the, the, this leads a guy named Daniel Shays, a veteran, to rally the vets into something called the Shay Rebellion.
2: The Shay Rebellion. Yeah. This was a group of vets uh, led by Daniel Shays, like you said, and they were not happy because they basically won the war and they weren't paid a a nickel. Um, And this made the leaders of the United States very anxious um, because they needed something to kind of strengthen their executive power. And the most powerful executive position they knew of was a king. And they, you know, certainly were not trying to style themselves in the image of a king. That was sort of the whole point. Um, But John Adams actually wrote, uh, quote, hereditary monarchy or aristocracy are the only institutions that can possibly preserve the laws. As well as, um, you know, they were not huge proponents of the idea of unbridled democracy early on. Um, and this followed uh, his inauguration as vice president when he even designed a system that used something resembling a hereditary uh, monarchy, only it was a hereditary legislature. And he had the notion of appointing the president for life. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what they wanted, right? I mean, and think about what
3: they just experienced with George Washington, I mean, he won the war or with, you know, with the help of everyone else, he won the war. That's my quotes. Um, and then he stayed in power for quite a while and he was a, a considered a good leader. He was trusted by people and respected by people. And there was, you know, the rebellion, rebellions against him and um, the opinions against him were fairly good, I would say, across the board, even the even though. You know, he wasn't loved by everyone, he could keep people in line, and he had enough respect to do so.
1: Yeah. So he, Shay's Rebellion, of course, it's a terrifying thing to these guys because we're talking about around four thousand like battle-trained and tested people who said, Don't tread on me. We're not gonna take it anymore. This this what what on earth were we fighting for, right? Uh and they have valid claims, they have valid problems. So we have to crack down this, this might surprise a lot of people to learn that many founding fathers were so pro monarchy, but it should be even more surprising that these founding fathers conspired against the nation they had created, which was very anti monarchy, right? A lot of the, the um, what pulp would call the common people Uh, in 1786, the president of the Continental Congress, Nathaniel Gorham, decided they were going to pitch European royalty on becoming the king of the United States. So Gorham writes to Prince Henry, who is the younger brother of Frederick the Great, the Prussian king at the time. And in this letter, which is a real letter, it's lost now, but it really happened, they invite Henry to go across the pond and become king of the United States of America, and they said, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be head of a constitutional monarchy. We've modeled it on the English system because that's what we understand. Is that not a little hypocritical? Uh,
3: more than a little, yeah. But it's just odd that that was the solution, and and maybe it was just. To have a crown, someone, you know, have a crown and the money associated maybe to stave off or in the power. I, I just don't understand the thinking maybe. And I I personally need to do some more reading on it. And I highly rec- recommend you listening do the same because that is a puzzling concept.
2: Well, I also don't understand. I, I didn't realize that there was such a f- like, you know, focus on a monarchy form of government considering that this was all a product of rebelling against a monarchy and you know ben to your point the idea i know how you hate you know political dynasties which at the end of the day are sort of a modern form of monarchy you know by a different name but it functions very much the same um not to mention the idea of like supreme court justices that are appointed for life. We do have some things that resemble some of those, you know, uh, forms of government and considering that all of this again was like a rebellion against those systems. I think it's fascinating that there was such a, you know, early push towards making it a lot like the thing they had rebelled against.
1: Right, right. That's, that's the issue. It should bother you if you live in the U S the only reason we don't have a king now uh, is Because of what Henry said. To be blunt about it, Henry turned down the job. That's why we didn't end up with a king. He was invited to be king, and he said, I'm good. I know what Americans do to kings. So, actually, we have the quote. He said, The Americans have shown so much determination against their old king that they would not readily submit to a new one. Smart guy. So, the delegates in Philadelphia went to their plan B. And today, we call that plan B the U.S. Constitution.
3: Yay! That's ridiculous. Well, no, that's good. Uh, wow, that's... Wow. I did not know this, Ben. Thank you.
1: <laughs> so very close uh, yeah. to, to uh, becoming the thing it sought to destroy.
3: But, but you have to just remember, I mean, just to give these, you know, the people we're talking about here and, and Adams and all these guys a little benefit of the doubt uh they're trying to figure out a way to have a strong leader that that as you said the quote common people would would respect and kind of bow to without actually having to bow if that makes sense and like you said this is these are the systems they knew before this is what worked before just because they didn't like having a king all the way across an ocean dictating what they had and had to do and couldn't do Maybe there was a desire to have someone like that, or a power structure like that, just that would be on the land which they occupied. I don't know. I don't. Know.
1: Yeah. No. I think you're making a really good point. Maybe it's saying we'll have a monarchy because we know they work, but we'll have one that is our monarchy, right? Uh, something where we <laughs> we'll have just a get
3: Frederick right. the Great's offspring.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then maybe we'll get support from the Prussians or something. Uh, but these kind of machinations happen all the time, right? In the, these sorts of uh, calculations, that's why that leads us to another interesting one: the Boston Massacre, seventeen seventy, March fifth. You've heard the name; it's a uh, it's an altercation that leads to that that kind of becomes a uh, a spark that ignites a larger flame. An angry mob surrounds a sentry, and they start talking trash to him. Whatever Picture whatever the colonial American version of trash-talking is. You know what I mean? They're like, you smell of laudanum. I don't know. And they uh, – <laughs> thanks, man. And uh, eight colleagues come to support the sentry, and then the situation escalates, and people are throwing stones and clubs and snowballs, which I thought was wholesome – at the soldiers, and then the nine soldiers open fire on the crowd. They kill five people. They wound six others. Only two are convicted of anything, manslaughter with reduced sentences. The rest are acquitted. Without going into this too deep, there is an idea that the Boston Massacre was purposely instigated, that it wasn't just an organic Kind of a uh, perfect storm of tension and, you know, waiting for the shoe to drop. There's the idea that someone got together, someone conspired and said, okay, go up, start talking to this person. Let's get them to fire on us. Why would they do that?
3: We've seen this before in the past. If you can make an opponent act aggressively towards you without taking aggressive action towards them, public opinion, is more likely to be in your favor as the person being attacked rather than the attacker right i think that's the primary motivation there um i but but i don't know how that would work i mean it would have to be i can only imagine it being a group of people speaking to you know this angry mob or whoever they are and just kind of making them angrier and angrier and getting them more and more worked up and then doing kind of what you're saying, Ben, just pointing and going, Hey, look over there. Look at that guy. Let's go tell him to go back across the pond. But even then I don't see how the Boston massacre, I, I, it was, it was a rallying cry. I just don't see how that strategically would be the thing in that place at that time.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. And you raise an excellent point because we have to remember when someone is proposing a theory like that, they are doing so with the knowledge of what happened after the Boston Massacre. It it puts a great deal of predictive power on any conspirator here to assume that they purposely instigated something and somehow knew roughly what effects that massacre would have. That's that's putting in a lot on them, you know what I mean? Yeah.
3: But but let's remember what the Project for the New American Century said in their report that was put out right before the events of September 11th, 2001, where they said, we need a new Pearl Harbor. Oh, God, you're right. And and the whole concept of that mm. was to to fulment public opinion, to to make everybody OK with spending more money on war, on wartime stuff,
2: on armies and, you know, materials, yeah, like 11s Well, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, I'm sort of being flippant, but it's like I think that's a lot of the reasons there are so many conspiracy theories behind 9 11. Is it? It certainly accomplished a goal for like these hawkish, you know, people that were in power at the time. Like, gave them a really great excuse to kind of do a little bait and switch and and seek out the war they wanted, not necessarily the war that uh, made sense as uh, retribution.
3: Yeah, and we're not saying that the project for a new American century or anyone caused 9/11 as a false flag attack. We are not saying that. No, that's not what it I'm is, saying either. I'm
2: just saying I could see why people's minds would go there because of what it did.
3: It was literally what the what the what do they call neoconservative playbook was calling for. Mm-hmm. It's exa- it's exactly what it was calling for. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah, but it doesn't mean we can anyone can prove that. And mm. you know that's just where no, we live not, that's where we certainly live now. not not suggesting that i think it's just a very interesting uh
4: parallel to what we're talking about
1: yeah that report comes just before the 2000 election uh and then it, they're not specifically saying the towers in new york need to blow up but they do say a new pearl harbor some catastrophic event uh and Clearly, there were tons of opportunists taking advantage of uh, of the situation, right? Of the chaos ensuing after this. But with that in mind, Matt, that's a great example. That's I think that's incredibly grounding because some of this stuff can seem a little bit a little bit distant, right? Because we have again the benefit of centuries. But I don't want to leave this scene of the massacre just yet. I've learned some colonial insults. I would like to tell you what I think they were probably calling this guy. They were probably calling him a gentleman of three outs. That's a man who lacks wit, money, and manners. It's three. Uh, And a lol poop. I'm sorry? A lol poop. Like L-O-L-L? L-O-L-L poop. A lazy, idle man. The female equivalent is the Fussock.
2: Wow, I didn't know they were doing like acronym insults. That's that's some next level stuff right there. The lol poop is now a,
3: an emoji. It's uh, <laughs> going to exist very soon. The lol poop,
1: uh, and then they probably called them a uh, a guilt or rum dubber. These are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Palliards and clapper Dogans.
3: Clapper dogan.
1: Clapper dogens. Dojins. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you guys. I wasn't actually at the Boston Massacre, so I, so I don't know, but, but I love lol poop. Anyway, moving on, what if there's a secret war happening? What if it's not just the U.S. or what will become the U.S. fighting with Britain? Uh, what if after the foundation of the U.S. they are waging a war against the Illuminati? Hmm. The the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were signed into law in 1798 under President John Adams, were super controversial because they gave the government like fascist level dictator powers over political dissenters and over people that were considered to be foreigners. Uh, which is which is pretty weird because you know many people who fought in the Revolutionary War were foreigners. So,
3: oh wait, almost the, all of them.
1: So this is this act is ultimately repealed, but some of some pieces of it survive today. And that prompts people to think there might be some sort of hidden purpose behind the legislation. It extended the requirement for residency from just five years to 14. This is where this is where it gets very weird. These are very harsh anti-immigrant laws. Uh, They give the federal government great power to kind of cherry pick and choose who they wish to allow into the country. And the idea is that they're trying to weed out members of the Illuminati before they could become a danger to to the um, newly birthed U.S. That's so weird. It's so interesting. I do not think it's true. I I, I don't understand how it could be. I think xenophobia is a real enough conspiracy on its own. And there you have it, folks. These are just a few of the very strange, very crazy conspiracy theories or secrets of the founding fathers. Uh, The one that personally bothers me the most is just how close this country came to becoming a monarchy. So, Henry, if you are out there and listening to this show somehow, thank you for turning down the job. Good on you. Massively appreciate it. Uh, We haven't even gone into... The rabbit hole about Illuminati bloodlines and the Founding Fathers, uh, that may be an episode of its own. But in the meantime, what do you think about the stuff we've talked about today? Do you think any of it is possible, plausible? Do you think it's bunk that's maybe best left for authors of historical alternative fiction? Let us know. You can find us online. We try to be easy to connect with there. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook.
3: We're on Twitter. That's correct. You can head on over to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Check out our videos. We have a ton of them going way, way, way back. Uh, Watch them for fun. There's a, which one did we, we just talked about it, Ben. We were looking at some older ones and I, I stumbled upon, oh gosh, I can't even tell you what it was. The snowpocalypse one made, it just made me laugh so hard. We made this video back in the day about the time it snowed in Atlanta, and everybody freaked out. And uh, Josh Clark was in it. Just <laughs> That's right. Gave me, gave me a, a nice little chuckle.
1: I I totally forgot. Uh, I totally forgot about that one. But that, that actually held up.
2: I think I actually appeared in one of those videos, maybe two. But I had a really bad haircut at the time. So if you want to see me with a bad haircut, uh, do a little digging. It's called <laughs> it's, it's, it's called
3: the meeting. Check out that one. That's what the <laughs> is that, video is titled.
2: Is that the one my bad haircut?
3: Uh, no, no. You have a no. great haircut.
2: Oh, thanks, bud. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm.
1: You can also call us, should uh, you prefer that, to social media. We are 1-833-STD-WYTK. Uh, you will hear a message, and you will have three minutes that entirely belong to you. Do what you will with them. Leave us suggestions. Leave us feedback. And most importantly on that one... Let us know if it's okay to use your name
2: and voice on air. And if you don't want to do any of that, um, why not head on over to Apple Podcasts? This is a thing you could do. Uh, you could leave a review for the show, um, preferably a good one. But, you know, we, we value uh, constructive feedback. Leave some of that, too. Uh, it helps people discover the show and boosts it in the rankings. So that's always helpful. Um, and, you know, we hope you do that. But if you don't, you can do a combination of these things. It's not, like, mutually exclusive. Uh, you can send us an email. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com
3: Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is a production of iHeartRadio.